Well, good morning and welcome. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Jeff Leader, part of the ministry team here, and I'd like to wish you all a very happy new year. And uh, hopefully, you'll be able to stay awake long enough to get to the end of this sermon, let alone service. So, let's just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you that you've brought us to a new year, a new beginning, and to New Life Church. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, help us to grow in uh, knowledge of you and of your love for us. Uh, Father, bless us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Cast your mind back a week ago. How was your Christmas? Was it good? Yeah? Were you happy with the gifts you received? Or were the children happy with the gifts you gave them? Gifts are a big feature of Christmas. But you know, the greatest gift of all, and I guess we've been reminded of this a few times through the Christmas series, the greatest gift of all is God's gift of Jesus to every single one of us. And this is captured in that well-known verse, John 3.16. And I want to focus on just that one verse today, not too strenuous, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So one of my favourite verses. Yes, it is well known, but this carries so much depth of meaning um, that it's worth digging into it. Because if he'd say one thing to the entire world that helped them to understand the truth that would change every single person's life in this planet, it would be this verse, John 3.16. This verse is life-changing. Every part of this verse is significant. Because this verse sheds light on our salvation. Just break it down. For God, that's the origin of salvation. So loved. That's the motivation of salvation. The world, that's the extent of salvation. That he gave, that's the action of salvation. His one and only son, that is the cost of salvation. That whoever, you know, that's the offer of salvation. Believes in him, that's the requirement of salvation. Shall not perish. That's our hope of salvation, but have eternal life. And that's God's promise of salvation. That's it, the verse sheds light on our salvation. Not only that, it also sheds light on God's love, the way that God loves us. Look at it again. For God, he is the author of that love. So loved describes God's character. He is a God of love. The world, that's the object of his love. Oh, isn't that working? There you go. That he gave his gift. His one and only son, that's his sacrifice. That whoever, that is the depth, breadth, width of God's love, believes in him. That is his acceptance. His love accepts people no matter who and what they are. Shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the purpose of God loving us. He wants a relationship of love with us. But not only that, this verse also sheds light on God's greatness. 
God is the greatest father. He displays the greatest love. The world, that reflects the greatest need. That he gave the greatest gift. His one and only son, the greatest sacrifice. That whoever, the greatest invitation, believes in him, the greatest commitment any of us can make, shall not perish the greatest salvation, but have eternal life, the greatest hope. But I'd like to focus on this, this one, this last one. This verse sheds light on God's gift to us. In the original Greek, the emphasis is on the fact that God gave. God gave something that every one of us needs. It's the greatest gift you can ever imagine. It's a gift that meets every single need in our life. God loved the world so much that he gave us his son. And note, God didn't send his son. He gave his son. And there's a big difference there. He didn't come, Jesus didn't come as some diplomatic visitor. Jesus came to sacrifice his life, to give himself for us. We're being invaded here. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Have you been naughty? No. <laughs> okay, John 3.16. Jesus came to sacrifice his life, to give himself for us. So... Again, let's just step our way through this verse and look and think about how God gave. Firstly, for God. That simply tells us that God is the giver of the gift. When you think about God giving the gift, remember that this is God the Father. This is God the creator of the world, the creator of the universe. God the Father. And the Father gave his Son, his one and only Son, just think for a moment about making that sacrifice. You guys who are parents, how would you feel about giving one of your children, perhaps your son, as a sacrifice of love for somebody else? It, 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 you struggle to get your head around that thought of, being, of, of sacrificing your children. But this is what God the Father has done. By giving Jesus to us as a sacrifice. And he did so because he loved the world, which shows God's great love for us. Even these few words in this verse remind us of the greatness of God. And that's where the verse starts, with the giver of the gift. For God so loved. God gave the gift because he loved. The motivation for the gift isn't our need, although we have lots of needs, it's not that God looked down and said, oh, I feel so sorry for that lot. I really pity them. They have so much need down there on earth. We have to do something. But you know, it just wasn't our need. Yes, we are needy. It was God's love for us. God cared about what we were going through what we are going through, what we are facing. He cares about our circumstances. And he has deep love 
for every single one of us. And that's why Jesus came to earth. That's the real motivation for this verse, for this gift of Jesus coming into the world. The word so loved means he loved to an infinite degree. He loves so much. God loves us so much. We just can't imagine how... You can't measure it. You can't measure how deep, how wide, how, how broad that love is. In the Greek language, the original language there, it has a sense that this love that God has is one great, lengthy, continuous act of love from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden, and even before that, all the way through to the death and resurrection of Jesus, to our lives today. His love, God's love can be seen as one great, big, continuous thing. And it's not an impulsive kind of love. No, his love started before creation and it continues through to this day. Jesus' death on the cross for us is just one part of that expression of God's love. The motivation of God meeting our needs is his love. And we just pause there for a moment. It, it actually raises the question of what motivates our ministry to people. If God's ministry to us is motivated by his love, and I want to be like God, if I want to be like Jesus, then that means my ministry to others needs to be motivated by his love. You know, there are dozens of short-term motivators you can use as a believer to minister to people. Guilt is a really good one. You can make yourself feel guilty about not serving. Like There's so many needs around this place. And yeah, we'd like people to be in rosters. We'd like people to serve others in all kinds of ways. But guilt, feeling guilty about it, will only work for a little while. But it's not a good long-term motivator. You know, fear is another good one. It may be fear of what others think of you. Fear of what God's going to do to you if you don't serve other people. And that too may be a good short-term motivator, but it's a terrible long-term motivator. And it may be pride that motivates you for the short term. It may be, you know, you get strokes from other people and how they say, yeah, you did a great job with that. Thanks for cleaning that. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for visiting so-and-so. Thanks for taking a meal around that. It really makes you feel good. I'm not saying don't do that. But don't do it for build yourself up through pride. Guilt, fear, pride, they're all motivators for ministry, but they're short term. But I wouldn't want any of us to have that kind of ministry motivation. To minister for a year or two and then find yourselves burning out because that initial motivation is waning. This verse teaches that if we're going to minister to people in the long term, the only motivation that lasts and is guaranteed to last is God's love. And then we come to the next bit. God so loved the world. God gave to the entire world. He gave us this gift, not just to you and to me, not just to this church, good as it is, not just to people we know or the people we like. God gave this gift of Jesus 
to the entire world. When you read this verse and read the world, we need to understand that this is a verse for everyone. Every single person on this planet, no matter who, who they are, where they are, what they are, it's a message for the world. And we need to realise that God has come into this world to meet the needs of people we don't even know as much as the people we do know. God has come to meet the needs of the world. It's a message for everyone. Everyone in this room, whether you know it or not, is a missionary to the entire world. Kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? Might freak you out, but that's the truth. God hasn't given us this message and the excitement of what he's doing in our lives so we can just keep it to ourselves, wrapped up in our own little lives, our own little world. He gives us the message to share with everyone else. It's a worldwide message. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to walk on this earth and then to die on a cross. God cared enough to give his very best. When it came to meeting our needs, the only way to meet that need, the need that was created, the need that was created by sin, the sin that's in our lives, the only way to meet that need was for Jesus to come as a perfect sacrifice, to live a perfect life, to, to be a perfect sacrifice and give his life on a cross. And because it was a perfect sacrifice, he could die for our sins. And that's why God gave on the cross. He could give himself for us. He could die for our sins. He could die for the world's sins. It was an intensely personal gift. The most personal gift that's ever been given was God giving his one and only son. It's difficult to get our heads around just the intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son. It's a closer bond than we have for, with our children or our spouses, our parents. It's a personal gift. Those words, one and only, come from a Greek word that means uniqueness. It means one of a kind. And there's nothing else like this. There's only one Jesus Christ. There's only one Son of God come to this earth. So does the price, the cost of our salvation, you know, is Jesus' death, does that price, does that stop being meaningful the moment you become a Christian? He paid the price. I'm forgiven. I can move on. The truth is, that price he paid is meaningful to me, as it should be to you, every single day of my life. We continue to sin every day of our lives in large ways and small ways, either things that you do or things that you don't do. And every time we sin, that cost is meaningful again. And that forgiveness is meaningful again. When I asked Jesus to come into my life, he forgave all of my sins, past, present and future. But every day of my life, I'm reminded of the fact that he forgave all of my sins, past, present and future. And that's the significance of that price. God so loved the world that he gave 
And then we switch gears in this verse. That whoever. We start to talk about the fact that we receive. One half of the equation of salvation is that God gave. The other half is that we must receive the gift. And the key word there is whoever. That means everyone is qualified. But one of the questions I have to ask myself when I read this verse is, is there anyone that I have disqualified? And there may be certain groups of people that we don't really think of them as being believers or even potential believers. You know what that's called? It's called prejudice. More often it's prejudice against a group. And it's more like losing hope. But the whole thing is more like losing hope for an individual. And I wonder if that has happened for you personally. That you lose hope for perhaps a son or a daughter, a brother, a sister, maybe a spouse or another close family member. You know, the faith to keep praying for that person is a challenge most of us have. And you know, we've prayed a hundred times. How can God do it? Well, we have to believe that he can do it. And I know of people who have prayed for, for spouses or for family members for decades. Consistently, regularly, and see no change until at a certain point the light switches on and that person comes to know Jesus. Those prayers are answered. Whoever believes in him. There's someone in your life that you've disqualified. Maybe one of your gifts to them this year is to pray for them once again. And I know it hurts to open that up. I know it hurts to hope again. But that hurt, that hoping again, that prayer may be the seed of faith to bring just the right person or the right circumstance into their lives that brings them to know Jesus as their saviour. Whoever believes in him, we receive when we believe. That's what it's all about. We don't receive Jesus when we come to church. We don't receive Jesus when we start reading the Bible. We don't receive Jesus when we start praying. We receive when we trust Jesus. When we trust him with our lives. When we trust him with our sins. We trust him with our future. It's just a tiny bit of trust. You know, the Bible calls it a mustard seed kind of trust that begins our faith in Jesus and our journey through life with him. Before we become a believer, we must believe in Jesus in order to receive salvation into our life. And after we become a believer, we must believe in Jesus in order to enjoy that salvation in our life. It's not just a one-off thing. You can't get rid of this gift. But sometimes, you know, this gift of salvation, you can stop enjoying it. I wonder if, put it this way, have you ever received a gift that I'd like to refer to as a garage shelf gift? 
And by that I mean is you receive the gift at a birthday or Christmas time and when you open the package it looks really good but it's not exact, you're not exactly sure how you're going to use it. And so what do you do when you say goodbye to the person who's giving you the gift? You take it out of the garage and you put it up there on the shelf. That's the garage shelf gift. Maybe it gets covered up, but it's still there on that shelf. You have the gift, but you're actually not enjoying the gift. But it's tragic that many believers do that with God's greatest gift. This gift comes into our lives, and we open and say, Wow, this is great! But to really put it into our lives, we actually have to arrange the furniture in our lives a little bit. And we're not sure we want to do that. And we might have to throw out some of the furniture that's cluttering up the rooms in our heart. And we say, I can't lose this gift of salvation, but for now I'll just put it over there on the shelf in the garage. We have it, but we're not enjoying it. But the thing about this gift is it's not like some lifeless knick-knack that you just stick out in the garage. This is life. This is God. This is living. And he's not satisfied just to stay in the garage of our lives. And he keeps trying to get back into our life. He He keeps trying to get into the living rooms and the family rooms and the bedrooms and the workrooms of our life. So if you want this gift of salvation to be a garage shelf gift, what you're going to find yourself doing again and again is taking him back out and putting him back on the garage shelf. Because God wants to come and be part of our lives. Once we've invited him in, he wants to be a part of our entire life. If you found yourself doing that, well, here's your goal for 2017. Let him in to every room and compartment of your life. Enjoy the gift that he's given to you. That's why he gave it to you. It's not to be a burden. It's meant to be joy. And sure, you might have to arrange some things in your life, but believe me, it is worth it. It's the greatest gift you've ever been given and will ever be given. Believe in him. Trust in his gift. Because whoever believes in him shall not perish. The greatness of this gift is that we receive salvation from eternal death. Before Jesus came into our lives, we were headed for hell. Not a pleasant place. And this was not because God wanted us to. But it was because we're headed to hell because of our own disobedience to God and our lack of relationship with him. This death that we are freed from now is not physical death. Unless Jesus comes again before we die physically, our spirits will live for eternity. However, you and I can start appreciating the gift of eternal life right now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. 
We don't have to wait to appreciate this gift. By accepting God's gift of Jesus into our lives, we're already, already delivered from being spiritually dead in this world as much as we are in the world to come. We receive the promise of eternal life. Everlasting, eternal life means both a quality of life as well as a quantity of life. You know, I wouldn't want to have eternal life like this one down here on earth. That wouldn't be heaven. Even though I like, love you all, <laughs> enjoy your company. But seriously, life in heaven will be so, so much better. It's a new quality of life. And it starts the moment we become a believer in Jesus. Admittedly, it takes something like a, a hyper jump when you die, or the Lord comes again and you go to heaven, a hyper jump in quality. But this new quality of life begins the minute we become a believer in Jesus. God starts working on our character. God starts changing us. We start seeing things differently. We have a new hope in life, a new joy. And it starts at that very moment. The truth is that for every one of us in this room, we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to say we have the hope of eternal life. The minute we said to Jesus, I trust in you, we are someone who has eternal life. We're not going to get it someday. We already have it as believers. The gift has already been given. That's the great news. That's the most incredible news in the world. It's the gift of life. So take a minute in your heart to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for this great gift. Maybe it will help you to see that gift as a worldwide gift. Maybe you need to see it as an individual gift. Maybe you need to see in God's love for you the motivation you need to have, to, to have for others, to, to love them, to serve them, to minister to them. So pick out one phrase in this verse as it comes to your mind. And make that the phrase that you live out this week. Hey, it's January 1st. Make the phrase you live out this year. That's a bold challenge. But accept the gift. And enjoy it. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you so loved the world that you gave you gave your one and only Son so that any one of us, anyone in the world who believes in you does not have to face spiritual death but can have the promise and the hope of eternal life. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.